Good morning, everybody. I'm making this recording from Cambridge, my old alma mater. I've done Shacharit by the river. It's absolutely beautiful. And our chapter today can hardly be called beautiful, but it is certainly momentous. Shmuel Bet, Perek Yudbet, chapter 12 of the second book of Shmuel. If yesterday was the crime in the story of David and Bathsheba, today is the punishment. It begins with God telling Natan to go to David after the terrible evil which he has perpetrated, says God, evil in my eyes. How is Natan going to approach David? How does the prophet talk to the king? How does truth talk to power? Natan does so via the means of what has become an exceedingly famous mashal, says Natan to David. There were two men in a single city. One was rich, one was poor. The rich one had great numbers of sheep and cattle. But the poor one had nothing at all. Just one little sheep. Which he had bought. And given it life. And raised it with him. And with his children too. It drank and ate from his hand. And it slept with him. And it was like a daughter. And a wayfarer came. To the rich man. And the man could not bring himself to take from his own sheep and from his cattle to make for the guest who had come to him and he took the sheep of the poor man and made it for the man who had come to him this is Natan's mashal David's anger is aroused as God lives ki ben the person who did this must pay with death. He must pay for the sheep four times over. Vayomir Natan el David, says Nathan to David, you are this man. God made you king over Israel. He saved you from Shaul. He did everything for you. How have you done this disgusting thing? To take Uriah's wife Bathsheba from him, to sleep with her, and then to kill Uriah. Therefore, the sword shall not depart from your home, Adolam, forever. Ekev ki vizitani, since you have spurned me and done this disgusting thing. David responds by saying, Chatati Hashem, I have sinned to God. In response to this seemingly immediate penance, there is certainly something of a salvation that David will not pay for his life, pay for his sin with his life himself, even though that is the judgment which David rendered upon the man who had taken his poor neighbours, you. David will survive. The child, however, that he has with Bathsheba will die. This is the continuation of the story of the chapter. And indeed, Natan's words that evil shall come from your home for the rest of your days. I will raise an evil from it which will take your wives from you. It will lie with them because you have done this. Indeed is going to 
be the story of the rest of Shmuel Bet as David's world and David's life is going to fall apart in the aftermath of our story. There are, sorry, I should say before moving to a different tone, that the chapter does, however, conclude with the birth of Shlomo, who is called by Natan Yedidya, beloved of God, the second child that Batsheva has with David after the first one has died. Shlomo will, of course, go on to become David's successor. There is some point for a potentially hopeful future, some glimmer of light, nevertheless, in this chapter. How does one view this whole story? Famously, there is the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, which says, Kol ha'almer David chata eino el Anybody who says that David sinned is mistaken. I don't think anybody who has become used to listening to my recordings on Tanakh will be surprised to learn that I do not give much weight to that Gemara in a value sense. The Gemara seeks to take David out of guilt for the formal sin, claiming that Uriah had already given Batsheva a get on the proviso as he went away to war. But it is certainly not an idea that I work with or that I live with or that I recommend to say that David has not sinned here. Firstly, the story itself is proof enough. Secondly, God says, you have sinned, this is evil in my eyes, and David himself says, Chatati Hashem. Thirdly, he receives a huge punishment for it. All of this would be sufficient in order to seemingly claim that David certainly has seen. Finally, fourthly, it, and this is a fundamental point, it goes against our belief and our understanding that the beauty of the Tanakh and the beauty of its characters lies precisely in the fact that its heroes and heroines are not perfect and sometimes they are very imperfect and they become defined as much through their faults as they do through their qualities and it is that which we have to learn from them. Finally, as my teacher Rav Amnon Bazak used to like to say, Kol ha'omil chazal omil David chata Anybody who claims that Chazal claim, the sages claim, that David did not sin is but mistaken. Yes, there is that one Gemara, but there are so many other statements of Chazal which see David's actions in truly reprehensible terms. So what are we to make of the story? What is its message? Of course, there is a great tradition which emphasizes that this is going to be a story not just of a sin, but also of Teshuvah, of repentance. And of course, in order to say that it's a story of repentance, one therefore has to say it's also a story of a sin. David has to have done something wrong. There is a beautiful Midrash, which is worth really thinking with, which reads in Natan's words a deep psychological understanding of sin. This person who comes seeking a meal and for whom the sheep of a poor man is stolen. What is he called? Well, the first time he appears, he is called Helech. He is called a wayfarer, Vayavo Helech. The second time, he is called Onoreach. The rich man wants to make a meal for the guest who has come to him. He has moved from being a wayfarer to a guest. The third time, he is called Ish, 
a man. He makes it for the man who has come to him. Wayfarer, guest, man, helech, oreach, ish. Here is the Midrash. That, this is the insight into the way in which the Yetzirah, evil impulses, work upon a person. First, they come upon a person without warning. Helech, a wayfarer. But if one lets them root, they become guests, regular guests, oreach. And ultimately, if they are not forced out, they become masters, ish. A deep and penetrating psychological insight. I want to conclude with a brief mention of what I thought was a brilliant reading in an article by Rabbi Shmuel Klitzner a number of years ago, in which he asked the question of how did David did Natan's parable have such an immediate and powerful effect on David? David surely knows what he has done. What is it that spurs him in the parallel? And Rabbi Klitzner suggested that the power of the parable lay in the fact that David has himself been the victim of something very similar in the past. If we remember chapter 18 of Shmuel Aleph, the first book of Samuel, when David first appears in Shaul's court, and it is suggested that he should marry Shaul's daughter because of his great strengths and qualities as a champion against the Plishtim. David is about to marry Michal, pardon me, about to marry Merav after having come back from war. But Shaul, in the moment before that, gives Merav to a man called Adriel instead. Adriel, the wayfarer, perhaps, is take, takes that which is supposed to, David's love, is supposed to be for David, David's wife. The same then again, of course, happens with Michal immediately afterwards, Shaul's other daughter who David is supposed to marry. That Shaul plants an idea that he can have Michal if he kills a hundred plishtim, doing this in order to put David into a trap whereby he will be killed. In both stories, a king plots to rid himself of an adversary. An adversary which is competing for, among other things, the affection of women. In both cases, both kings, Shaul and later David, are not interested in bloodying their own hands, nor in having the deed of doing away with a popular military officer traced back to them. So they orchestrate, so they orchestrate an impossible military mission with the express purpose of having their target die in battle. In the case of David, he survives. Uriah is not as fortunate. Could it be that David's response to Natan's Mashal is so immediate and so powerful? Who is this man who has sinned? He must die for this terrible sin. Could it be that David identifies with the parable, but not as the oppressor, not as the rich man, which is, of course, what Natan means, but actually as the poor man, as the person who has suffered at the hands of somebody else. And the astonishing idea behind this is that the victim has become 
the perpetrator. Like I said, I'm making this recording in Cambridge, a place of some of the greatest contributions to English thought, English literature. So we will conclude with a short poem of W.H. Auden. I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return.